The following is a sermon from the Vicar at Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Our gospel today comes from Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha, the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise be be to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Now when I say that our focus today is a miraculous feeding, where Jesus sits down a big group of people and with just a little bit of bread and fish, he feeds them with, with extras to go around, you would safely assume we're talking about the 5,000. Well, as Pastor before noted, that's not the case today. We're going to be talking about a different miracle altogether. It's a feeding, but of 4,000 people. And no, Jesus is not above reusing his miracles, especially when they're just so good. Because right now, we're going to learn a valuable lesson from Jesus' miraculous feeding of 4,000 people some scholars, some professors of, of religion, they say that this is an inaccurate duplication of the original miracle that happens two chapters ago with 5,000 people. And some say it's just a myth. But I would say this miracle is more like an underdog in Jesus' repertoire. It's, it's an unexpected treasure. Or maybe like the, the B-side of a record when you flip it over. Sometimes it's forgotten, but there's always something good to listen to. Jesus is going to teach us about God's providence here. He shows us the purpose, the motivation, and the teaching found in God's providence. So first of all, we we should look at the purpose, right? And that's really what differentiates it from that other miraculous feeding. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, he was there teaching and he sees this big group of Jews And the Bible says they were like sheep without a shepherd, totally lost. And so Jesus knows what they need. They needed teaching. So he teaches them for a full day. And when he's done teaching them, he sees what they need to see is that he is their shepherd. He supplies them not just the word of God, but also bread. He takes care of their needs, so he feeds them. The purpose of that feeding was to teach. But the purpose of this feeding is to feed. See, 
Jesus here is in a region called the Decapolis. It's largely just Gentiles. And he sees what they need is, is to be taught a lot, right? They're not Jews. They aren't familiar with what the Old Testament says. So he goes on for three whole days out in the wilderness. It's sort of like a music festival, right? Like a sanctified Woodstock or Coachella where they're out in this remote wilderness for days on end just gathered to hear what Jesus has to say. So when they come out the other side, Jesus sees what's happened. His followers didn't bring enough food. They're exhausted and if he sends them away, they're going to pass out on the road. So he sees their need is no longer teaching. It's now food. They need nutrition. So Jesus steps into his role as almost a divine lunch lady. He makes sure everybody's fed before they can go back home. He knows what they needed. He didn't multiply this bread and fish to shock and amaze like a, like a magician so all those who were unbelieving would go, okay, this is truly God. He did it because he cared for his people. He knew what they needed and that's why the theme for today is God's providence. It's God's special care for his creation. God's providence reminds us of this, that he'll take care of us physically, spiritually, in every single way because he knows exactly what we need and he knows what's best for us. Even when we don't see it and, and when we don't ask for it. But it can be really easy to doubt God's providence, right? There's no miracle involved when I make my ramen except for maybe the miracle of science with the microwave, but it's easy to slip into that thinking, right? Like, I make my money that pays for my food. I make my food and I eat my food. Where is God involved in that? And all of a sudden, we've slipped into the sin of, of reducing God's work down to just Sunday mornings when we, when we talk about him and we pray to him and we don't see all of the things he does from Sunday to Sunday, how he cares for us, how he provides. He promises in the Bible to take care of his creation more than just plants and animals, but especially for his people, the crown of his creation. When a, when a person makes a promise, right, they'll try everything in their power to, to do that within their capabilities. But when God makes a promise, he alters the, the, the days and the events of the world to make sure that thing becomes true for his people. There is never a reason to doubt God's promise. And God promises to take care of us. The food you eat, the money you earn, the water you drink, it's a gift from God. The purpose of, of, of God feeding those 4,000 people was to show his providence. He knows what we need and he provides it. But why? Why does he care so much, right? Surely God could outsource this and, and take a couple thousand of angels and assign them to making sure all the people get what they need. Um, they're needy people. They ask a lot of questions, so just make sure that they're hungry and happy and they'll forget about you. But that's not what God does here. The, the motivation for Jesus' miracle comes straight from his words in verse 2. Jesus says, I have compassion these people. And maybe you've heard it before, but it's a lesson worth repeating. The Greek word for compassion here is splankna. And what splankna really is talking about is, is guts. 
like your stomach, all your innards. Because the Hebrews believed that that was the, the seat of the really profound, deep, tender emotions of someone's heart. So compassion, that, almost that feeling of when you see your child too close to the edge of a balcony, right? And your stomach flips over and all of a sudden you need to get up and help them. That's that feeling. It's a deep, profound love seated in your guts. It's a, it's a gut-felt love that Christ feels for us. Have you seen those commercials? Uh, they have that song, In the Arms of an Angel, and there's, there's shots of dogs in cages, and it's very sad. Um, oh yeah, very sad. And it seems to always come on during like sports games or, or like a family TV show, and it just totally changes the mood of the room. But you get what they're trying to do, right? With those slow panning shots of, of sad dogs and this woman explaining that we need to donate to the cause to save them. They're trying to trigger that same gut-felt emotion. They want your stomach to turn so you'll donate to their cause. Well, in a, in a way, in a better way, we're kind of like those sad dogs in God's eyes. You can imagine it this way, too. Imagine a Christian woman. She has a job that, that she works faithfully. She, she tries to go to church every Sunday. She's exhausted by the end of the week because she works hard. Um, she's stressed out by the taxes she knows she has to pay. But she tries to provide for her family. She's a sick family member and she, she tries to be dutiful and see them when she can. Um, she prays to God. She listens to God's word. She casts her anxieties on him. She knows she cares for him. She takes her sin to the cross. She checks all the boxes. She knows her callings in life and she serves them as best she can. But she still wonders if she does enough. She wonders if God sees the ways that she has troubles and she wonders if God will, will fix them or if God is even watching her at all. Well, with the confidence in, in, in Jesus' compassion, we know that on the other side of that one-way mirror of heaven, Jesus is looking at each and every one of us. And he sees us and he cares for us and he has that deep gut-felt love. He gives her a job to make sure that she can take care of her family and herself. He gives her the energy to make it through the week. He gives her time to make sure she can serve her callings. He listens to her prayers and knows her dearly. He forgives her sins and reassures her and strengthens her faith while she walks through a sinful world. Your Lord Jesus knows you. He blesses us and he, he, he cares for us deeply. If he cares for, for the pigeons in the parks and, and the fish that swim through the, the river, surely he cares for you much more than that. In the feeding of the 4,000, we're reminded that God is not just some supercomputer with a preset list of, of times that he'll, prepare, that he'll provide for us, right? He watches us tenderly and he knows what we need. The same deep love that motivates him to take care of us is the same deep compassion that kept him in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. He kept there praying on his knees even though he knew that that night he'd be arrested. That same compassion kept him silent in front of the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin that threw false accusation after false accusation at him, but he said nothing. And also in front of Pontius Pilate, who did not even want to judge Jesus, 
But out of Jesus' deep love for us, he didn't say a word. And that same compassion kept Jesus' bloodied feet walking step by step by step all the way to Golgotha so he could die on the cross for the entire world's sins, including yours. There is no greater love than that, that that Jesus would die for his friends. And that's exactly what we are to him. He loves us and he cares for us. And that is the motivation of God's providence. Finally, there's a teaching here. A unique teaching that that is hard to see, but it it exists in in the feeding of the 4,000. We mentioned before that these people were largely Gentiles. So what Jesus does can go unnoticed, but we need to know the context, right? Before Jesus breaks the bread and distributes it to everybody, he prays to God and gives thanks for the food they're about to eat. And to you and to me, and even to the Jews who first saw Jesus do that, that's normal. We've been doing that our whole lives. Maybe it's in the Lord's Prayer or just in the, in the common table prayer. But to the Gentiles, this was something foreign to them. Completely new. But that's why Jesus did it. Because as simple as it is, it needs to be taught to us. And we need the reminder that we should give thanks to God for all the ways that he cares for us, for his providence in our lives. I'm no expert, but I've heard many, many times from from the mental health community how important it is to practice gratitude, right? I'm sure you've heard it too. That you should take out a pen and paper every day and write out all the things you're thankful for and and just reflect on all the ways that, that your life is good. And that's amazing. I even found a list of eight benefits, eight mental health benefits from practicing gratitude every day. It enhances well-being. It improves mood. It boosts positive emotions. It reduces stress, strengthens relationships, encourages positive habits, shifts perspectives, and promotes mindfulness. That is amazing. I don't know how the Bible could forget to, to tell us that and to tell us to give thanks because obviously gratitude is essential to life. Well, the Bible doesn't forget It gives us the ultimate example in Christ Jesus. When when every time he breaks bread in these miracles, he gives thanks to God because that's where our blessings come from. So it speaks to human nature that so often gratitude gets left by the wayside. Much, Much less to God, but even to our friends and family for the ways that they bless us. So why do we need that reminder? from Instagram or from a mental health uh, aware friend that we should be practicing gratitude every day? Well, it's because we live in a sinful world. And when you eliminate God from the world, all of a sudden those normal parts of a faith life, the things that Jesus teaches us, we need to be reminded of them, but with the motivation that if we practice gratitude, we will not become anxious or depressed in this world. Well, that's good and true, but There's another motivation behind practicing thankfulness and that is it's it's a chance to praise God and say thank you for all the ways that you provide for me. 
You, you watch my, my goings in and goings out. You, you make sure my plate is full. You give me what I need better than I even know for my own self. So yes, practice gratitude. With a pen and paper, if you want, or just in prayer with your Heavenly Father every single day if you need to. God doesn't need to bless us from, from practicing gratitude, but he does. I just listed eight great ways that your mental health can be improved by saying thanks to God. He blesses us and he takes care of us. So what a chance we have to say thank you to him before we eat and, and before we go out into the world each day. And that's the teaching Jesus is trying to instill in this miracle. I want to leave you with one final blessing as we're talking about the, the benefits of practicing gratitude. Retrospection. As I was reading through this text a lot and, and thinking about how do I give thanks and thinking about God's provision for my life, I started to look back. And it's funny how the things that you learn as a kid start to, to resurface as you, as you make your way through the world as an adult. I grew up listening to the song, I Am Jesus, Little Lamb, all the time from my parents. And my wife and I still sing it to our son every night. And the words are, are fantastic for this sermon. Let me read them to you. I am Jesus, little lamb, ever glad at heart I am. For my shepherd gently guides me, knows my need and well provides me, loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. A song this simple can contain a sermon in its words. We are Jesus' followers, his lambs. He knows us exactly what we need, even when we don't. And he provides for us perfectly. He loves us with a deep, gut-felt compassion that we are his own dear little children. And funny enough, when we sing this song or think about its words, we're saying a prayer of thanksgiving to our God for all the ways that he cares for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let your prayers this week be prayers of thanksgiving to God for all the ways he cares and provides for you. And let the words and miracles of Christ dwell in your hearts and minds as you go out into the world under the care of your God. Amen. Amen.